All right. Hi, folks, and welcome to Film Optimist, where we talk about all things film with a healthy dose of optimism. I am your co-host, Seth Boyd. And I am Megan Tierney. And today we did something a little different. We watched a movie that neither of us had seen before, mm -hmm. um, a movie that came to my attention and something I thought Megan and I would both be interested in as uh, film buffs and enjoying older films as well. This is the 1953 movie, The Hitchhiker, directed by Ida Lupinow. And I'm highlighting the year because folks, there's several movies called Hitchhiker or The Hitchhiker <laughs> or something similar. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. We have a few things. And um, there's at least, I think there was like a 70s one of Rutger Hauer. And then there was a remake of that with Sean Bean. That's a little bit more of a direct horror movie. Bottom line is we're not talking about those movies. We're talking about the 1953 uh, film noir, The Hitchhiker. Mm -hmm. And before we get into the movie, Megan, what did you think? Um, I quite enjoyed it. So as um, a film student, I think I keep calling myself that. That feels a little like ostentatious to be honest, folks, because like, <laughs> you know, I got like a- I took film classes. <laughs> yeah, film, class, film class is very much the way to go. And so like from the little, little knowledge I had of film noirs, I kind of had the vibe of what it was going in this, this movie um, sort of turned things on its head in terms of like its settings that I'd like to like talk with Seth about too. And right. I, like you mentioned it, but then this is ticking a couple boxes for us because we haven't had yet a female director, which is really exciting. And um, also this is a bit genre bending in itself in that women directors were pretty obviously just not well known in general in Hollywood, unfortunately, sure. and uh, that's still the case, but also for specifically the genre of film noir, it's uh, pretty unheard of is from the small research that I've done. Um, I don't know much about Ida, unfortunately, but sure. um, I, very competent film. Like I, I enjoyed it and it, it ticked all the boxes in terms of like being a just well-sealed package that I enjoyed. So I'm excited to talk about it. Fantastic. And I'm uh, glad, glad you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. We might do more experiments like this of uh, yeah. just going in blind together. But yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about, first I want to confirm you're correct, Megan, from my research, she is considered to be the only woman to have directed a film noir, at least yeah. from like what we call the classic or unofficially official film noir period, you know, sure. in Hollywood. Yeah. There's probably, and this is a, this was a low budget movie. She produced the the credit, it's this RKO distributed, but it was the filmmakers, which was her company that she founded with her husband at the time. Oh, yes, yes. Um, mm -hmm. Made this. So she was an entrepreneur and a very adventurous mm. uh, filmmaker who, who was an actress primarily and famously an actress. She was in 58 movies. She was in movies like High Sierra with Humphrey Bogart. She was in Seawolf, Richards of Sherlock Holmes. She was in a lot of big movies and had a long career, but uh, realized kind of somewhere in the middle there that she'd prefer to direct and uh largely kind of like uh, John Cassavetti kept making kept starring in films so he could have the money to make his own movies so she uh, directed I believe eight or nine and this is probably the most famous and the other movies she directed would be maybe more expected from a female director mm -hmm. like she did a lot of movies about social issues which we, we're going to address there's some in that movie this movie as well but she did a movie about sexual assault and things like this that were not being talked about as much but this isn't exactly like a, a cash you know checking a cash here to do this movie either this wasn't like a jumping on a bandwagon she was really excited to do this movie yeah, yeah. um passion project exactly like. nice. and i 
I think one of the other things that, you know, called my attention to this is this movie is 71 minutes long. Right. And it is very simple. It is um, two guys are going on a fishing trip to Mexico from El Centro, California, and are from Arizona, I can't remember which, but they're Mm -hmm. on the border. They're going fishing, they pitch up a hitchhiker. The hitchhiker turns out to be a murderer and there's really no subtlety to it either he pulls mm-hmm. a gun on them within a minute six minutes and 30 seconds into this movie this has occurred <laughs> so this is a tightly paced movie and you're really with them the majority of the movie and um i think it plays out pretty realistically mm-hmm. but yeah I, I was just excited to see something that was that simple <laughs> that was uh yeah. that bare bones that stripped down and how confident it'd be made and um i thought the cinematography was great this movie. i thought a lot of the shots looked great i agree even the um for me also the soundtrack does a lot and it kind of mm-hmm. just bring it brings you back i guess it's such <laughs> a specific feeling that um these old tiny films have but um i love it and i thought it it just pulls a lot of weight for me and was not offbeat at all it felt really right. really good actually i'm really glad to hear you say that i, I remember I, I took a gothic fiction class at saint mary's mm-hmm. which is a very fun class and everybody had to do a presentation on a movie and, and you have to show a clip and people were doing like withering heights or some of the other usual sex specs, like the 40s versions of them and people would just be laughing like the music was goofy and if you're not used for it I can understand because we're so used to parodies of it like yeah we're used to parodies of big 50s 40s dramatic Hollywood music yeah. and dramatic yeah. settings but it still works if you can lean into it if you can experience the movie oh, yeah. and as, as you watch more of them you get more into it but yeah there's a lot of uh, um, I mean a man screaming at the helicopter that misses them and then there's dramatic music <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah and it's great <laughs> it's it's uh but there's a different style that it, i think is acquired but i, I love it and uh, it's very just timely i think and right um, right there's there's something a kind of very old hollywood about it all and there it has a glamour i guess to it is a <laughs> word to use that just is sure it feels very evocative of like history and the mm. history of film in general that I, I really like. I agree with what you're saying. So. I have to look up who the composer was. Cause yeah, I, uh, I remember really liking the music. Leif Stevens. Um, mm. You, while, while I look him up then Megan, you were mentioning the locations. Uh, I think that's yeah. certainly worth talking about if you don't mind. Yeah. I, w- I mean, so uh, majority of their journey takes place um, in Mexico and then also I wanted to mention like uh, I was happy to I checked a little bit like uh, they had a lot of like um, seemingly Mexican actors and or just mm. like Spanish actors in general. <clears throat> and also surprisingly for me in this day and age, um, they had many scenes, maybe like 30 second scenes fully in Spanish. Yeah. And no um, subtitles. I don't really know the um, the history of like subtitling movies, but and I'm sure like this just wasn't um normal in that era but you know it was like pretty full scenes of full spanish like lots and lots of quite a bit of dialogue in there with like moving plot along a little bit and so i was kind of surprised by that and was was happy to be in the seat of uh, i unfortunately don't know spanish and i and my family (laughs) is just so disappointed in me um have mexican but you know I, i I could follow along as much as I could, but you right. were in the seat of the, <laughs> the white audience, or I guess of just like not knowing, and I kind of liked that, or just not being familiar with it. And um, I I was surprised to see how much of it was in there, um, which was 
nice i thought i agree and yeah like and i, I think it's intentional that there's uh, I mean, I, there's like a joke that'll show up where like Netflix has the caption of speaks in foreign language. Like, yeah, motherfucker, yes. what, what are they saying? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I think this was not a um, streaming service choice. I think this was the, I, I think this is the director's choice because you you <laughs> typically get, I believe it's the actor or the character of Collins. He's usually, he speaks Spanish and is usually explaining what's actually yeah. happening to the other two. That's right. Um, we're doing a great job here. Just gonna get the characters' names real quick because there's really only three people. <laughs> there's Roy, Roy Collins and Gilbert Bowen are Roy the fellas Gilbert. on a trip, and then Emmett Myers is the villain. He's the mm-hmm. hitchhiker who's already killed several people. Right. But yeah, so there's um, Collins is usually um, able to translate, so mm-hmm. you'll get a brief like summary of it. But yeah, you have like whole conversations in Spanish without right. subtitles, and I, I thought that was really cool as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly kind of assumed because she made this movie that Ida Lupino was of mm-hmm. that descent. She's English. <laughs> She's oh, an English. I mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess originally the Lupino family was Italian, but like um, I, I, and I thought what well, we're on this note, how did you, you're right. I think we have some Mexican actors in here and I thought they were dealt with more respectfully than a lot of movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> particularly of this era. <laughs> Sure. still today mm-hmm. um and you also have one of my a tactic that i think always works if we're we're making it very clear that this guy's a villain partially because he's racist and so like yeah. the um the emmett myers character keeps referring to the spanish language as mexican, mexican. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't want to hear it yeah and is, it's very easy to hate this yeah <laughs> this which i i like this guy's a scary guy mm-hmm. he's not a smart guy no. You know, the, no his plan's not great it's moving along he's he's dumb he doesn't understand why the radio doesn't work at times he doesn't understand why the car is having trouble or yeah. he doesn't understand why they can't just magically speak english so yes i actually i i see what you're saying Seth, but i i personally didn't find him like scary almost i mm. I, I almost thought he was like um just like incompetent like you said which you're touching <laughs> on but i think sure. also the character's touch on it Roy and Gilbert because by the end of it this guy is just like so annoying um and and, like uh delusional and demanding I guess yeah but I think by the end of it they were just like you uh all you have is the gun um right they're even their plot line is them saying like because he's dragging them along on this like horrible journey uh of just demands and and whatnot but by the end of it they I think I agreed with the characters when they were like all you have is a gun like you they were kind of done with him and giving it back to him a little bit more and I was like that's true the guy (laughs) I just found him like very annoying and very very unlikable (laughs) I I think that's a very fair point he is buffoonish I I think scary that like this guy actually has killed people for that's true and mm-hmm. seems to be making it very clear intends to kill them but you're also right <laughs> and I, I think this is a fun um kind of remind me of, of rope if just reference our own episodes of like this is all <laughs> largely in one location which is the car yeah yeah and you have like I think it's definitely going through your mind when you're watching this movie it's like well is he really going to shoot the driver because what's right. he going to do then you know mm-hmm. it's like maybe because he's stupid <laughs> but um <laughs> you kind of go through like it, it is understandable to me that these guys don't try to escape until they do which yeah. doesn't go well mm-hmm. for them but they you know they obviously have a gun on them most of the times and he sleeps with literally one eye open he has a condition yeah. so they can't actually tell if he's asleep or not that was and, scary. right so that's scary <laughs> it's yeah. like creepy i guess but yeah it it didn't it felt like a little bit of the 
this is another thing I wanted to touch on is like the going back to genre bending, this almost at many times feels like a horror movie more directly than a suspense movie because mm -hmm. like it begins with a title card talking about how this is based off a real thing, which it's loosely <laughs> yeah. based off the Billy Cook killer, but it says, you know, the this well, I'm trying to remember what it says, but I'm like, this could happen to you yes. <laughs> is the title card <laughs> that begins with not a horror movie, but Fargo has a lot of mixing up the this is a real story thing when it's sure. it's not it's very loosely <laughs> well it's a huge horror movie trope now well, well te yeah, texas chainsaw massacre that's what i think of like that's just based uh, off a true story it just absolutely wasn't but yeah but you're right it's um Blair huge Witch. horror trope i mean yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's kind of leaning to that and then he is a psycho killer that they're stuck with so there, there's some <laughs> moments that you have uh that going on and you have a little bit of the just make a run for it kind of yelling at the camera that's true. but <clears throat> yeah the tv I wondered, like, I, I didn't know too much about noir again, like, as sure. a writer, but I, I, from what I remember, I think it, that's kind of a theme that goes through it is um, having the, the antagonist, I guess, be sort of a, more of a psychological um, figure and or like we hype him up beforehand instead of like him just egregiously killing people or right. like, like very, very bloodbathy. I think from what I remember, that's kind of not yeah, I think that's noir. That, that's correct. Like noir is typically even the heroes are a little bit more mm -hmm. um, complicated version on anti-heroes. They're not quite uh, Joker or something, yeah. but they're um, <laughs> I think even like a, a lot of the great detective stories are from noirs, like um, yeah. The Big Sleep. I mean, most Bogart movies that, that kind of narrows it down <laughs> are, are film noirs, which often do have a villain who doesn't end up ultimately getting away with it a great quote is uh i don't remember who it's attributed to it's a you know great tragedy it's a fall from a height that's all from like your ivory tower a film noir is a fall from the sidewalk you know these are not yeah. people who are doing great <laughs> already and things go okay. worse for them mm -hmm. so like in the actually i thought this was actually too our, our two main characters are just like the most middle of the road basic guys <laughs> and they're not their first conversation kind of gets got me prepared like i don't know if i like these guys you know they're talking yeah. about like oh should we go to this nightclub with like this exotic dancer That's right. or not and the guy who doesn't want to go just very casually or uh callously says oh she's probably dead that was a long time ago it's like wow <laughs> i wasn't expecting this to be the opening lines of our heroes <laughs> you was, know that was weird. also because like so was the um assuming like dancer hooker woman yeah uh, very old or, yeah uh, right <laughs> <laughs> they were like middle-aged i mean at least or is like it just like 40 year old <laughs> so I was like, the way her life was going or something oh, you that know makes, that makes sense. yeah but it, it was a very strange like should we go look at this old you know the girl we used to in town no she's dead yeah <laughs> um and we we don't find out a whole lot more about them they're they were both in the war mm -hmm. um i did i think they do a good job so these are fairly famous actors these are not bogart or carrie grant the main cast, uh, Edmund O'Brien's the most famous one who did win an Oscar for another picture. And he did quite a few things and Frank Lovejoy and Juan Tallman. And I think a lot of these people actually worked in other Ida Lupino films that she directed or produced, but no one to my eye is a typical Hollywood leading man handsome <laughs> or, uh, yeah. or even not to be cruel to them, charismatic. They're not, <laughs> not someone who's just gonna carry the movie on their charm and it, that's sure. not this type of movie. I like the, going back to what's different about it too of noirs is a lot of this movie shot beautifully in the open on yes. the on the road mm -hmm. and uh, i think the only other 
moving you know, like that is like Memento, which is uh, not that it's on the road, but that's a daylight noir primarily. You know, that's just wow. shot middle of the day Pasadena, which from my understanding wasn't a style or wasn't a uh, scientific choice as much as it was just a practical, a lot easier to shoot yeah. in the daytime <laughs> with the budget they had. Yeah. But yeah, that's a pretty unique thing. And it still, I think, carries the weight of it. I mean, it's no shots. Western almost. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, especially it's a border town, you yeah. know, yeah. you have a, yeah, more, the majority of the characters are Mexican. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I was seeing too. I mean, it, it was kind of cool. It felt a little, um, I had never quite seen a old, older film. This is like 53, I believe. Yeah, 53. Yeah, 53 that felt very much i i could feel it's like indiness i guess yeah <laughs> so i do assume that that's the that's kind of like what it was so that was really fun i mean i had not seen that and not, that's not to say that it was poorly done also i think like editing uh, i i really like give it up to editors like for both writing and um films because you can do so so much and like really really paint a pretty picture with um the way you edit and so that for me was the case definitely in this and like also just like good use of everything I just like that indie indie and lower budget requires you to really really stretch and pull as much as you can and use as much as you can so I think that's what was happening here I kind of agree with you Seth like the actors didn't do too crazy much for me like I wasn't this amazing um you know film or um like actor on display kind of thing right but the whole thing in general does work and like that's a testament to I think just filmmaking craft as itself and and like um indie indie works (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah I couldn't find a budget for this but apparently like her production company the the filmmakers almost never went over two hundred thousand dollars which even in Wow, the fifties—that's very cheap. Well, um, do you particularly know Seth? I again, I was trying to like think of the genre a lot and sure, uh, just anything I knew about it. But also, I know that from what I remember, I think that like the private college class that we took, (laughs) the main genre is uh, rainy night in a city. Yes, yeah, rainy night in a city, Venetian blinds, often you know, light and shadow. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about. Oddly, like a movie like Citizen King mm-hmm. is story-wise not really a film noir, but it's shot a lot like a film noir. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, and it has some of the same things. It's just not all like, not, it doesn't quite fit in, but it's very similar. And it's like visually as a really good reference. And I, I just mentioned it because it's a more widely seen movie. Yeah. Um, but film noir aesthetically was a lot of the stuff the German expressionists were doing. It was a lot of really stark contrast with shadows, okay. with light, and it was typically black and white. And yeah, it's dark and gloomy. It's you know, silhouettes mm, and that. Okay. Well, maybe one of those film noir shots in this movie is when they are the, the cut of Emmett Myers when he's chasing them down the car. Just that really yeah. moody lighting around him that looks really great. It was really well lit. Yeah. Yeah. you know so like yeah that but you're definitely right it's typically at night um it, it literally means black film or dark film right yeah. um a french critic came up with it but it um it always kind of has a pretty bleak world view of the, the world being darker than someone would like to to accept mm-hmm. and uh that's certainly the case with these ones it's just thinking we could just go be neighborly you know be friendly and offer a hand to somebody and then yeah here we are that makes sense to me. I always had that in my head. So, and it also kind of reminds me too, that like 
so much of film genre could also be very aesthetic driven, which I think mm. that noir is from what I know. So that, right. and also like about just like literally the image of it instead of, mm-hmm. instead of necessarily the story. I think like this. I think that's absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah. Film noir may be an instance where it's actually both because it is um, tinged by that like darkness in the story plot line as well. Right. Um, so that's interesting. I, I like that it's like kind of so specific <laughs> yeah because like your hero in the film noir could be a quote-unquote good guy uh, i just watched um the a touch of evil orson welles movie mm-hmm. that is also actually very similar it's on but border and you, you have corrupt cops you have the main character is actually a good person but there's a lot of corruption in this movie there's sure. there's drug addicts there's cops planting evidence and stuff like this you know and there's a lot said about humanity and all that so like you you can have a lot of different types of story you don't even like there doesn't need to be a they're usually the detective but sometimes just a drifter sometimes it's just a guy <laughs> this is one of those movies just like guys showing up in the wrong place at the wrong time you know so it's very loose roles um in terms of who the protagonist is except for someone who's not doing great and is usually doing worse by the end of the movie <laughs> That makes sense. How, so in, in talking about that, um, you mentioned it before, Seth, our, our um, antagonist is a bit of a racist, a bit is right. not quite the word, actually. Yeah. How, how did he work for you, like, throughout? throughout yeah, it? you know, I, I think it's one of those things that I also wonder in the 50s, I, I, I kind of thought this was part of the, I, Lupin, spoke often about being conscious with making social statements, and, yeah. you know, 50s America, I mean, America today is not as hospitable <laughs> as we would like. A lot of racism, particularly against um, Mexicans and people of Latino descent I'm happening right now. So I, I really think she was trying to make this statement by like, this guy is the one who's wrong. The guy who's murdering people is the only one who thinks this in the movie, you mm-hmm. know? The other two guys are clearly bothered by this, yeah. but not exactly in a position to say anything. He's threatening the little girl at one point for just daring to speak <laughs> Spanish and, um, Colin is praying over her in Spanish, you know? So yeah. I, I thought that was, I think this works well. I think um, the movie did not feel racist for having a racist. <laughs> I think that that's, that's how we talk about it. But is, I got, I got have, that <laughs> Right, have someone who's clearly the wrong one <laughs> um, yeah. illustrating the bad behavior. And Touch of Evil does that as well. Uh, Orson Welles' character is very racist. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know Ida and I didn't know any much more of her film. Yeah. But I, I could only assume that that was very intentional. Like I got that too as well. And yeah. I, I wonder if she, you mentioned that she did other things like um, political activist movies. So that kind of that kind of makes sense to me too. If, if um, there were multiple moments, it wasn't just necessarily the, the like crazy racist um, like, <laughs> antagonist, but right. uh, I feel like the whole thing was kind of tinged with a bit more humanity, I guess, that she had to rely on to propel the characters a, a little bit forward. So I, I did enjoy that. I thought it was. Yeah. And it was kind of a departure from typical noirs that I have like seen or heard of here and there. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even like the characters are very working class, right? Like yeah. um, one's a draftsman and one's a, owns a garage. Like they're, they're doing honestly like that that'd be doing pretty good for one of our classmates to yeah. be doing either of those things but these are not um they're not flying to mexico you know they're driving pretty yeah. a long ways this is not they're not staying at a resort to go fishing mm-hmm. they don't own the boat you know they're uh, yeah. 
so this was uh, you know, guys who fought in the war and are making the most of things. And um, I, I do love that the last shot is them having their arms around each other, walking away saying it's over now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought that was a, a sweet friendship right. <laughs> uh, moment. And of course you have multiple depictions of, as we mentioned, like the Mexican people, even like the police and yeah. the police mm -hmm. chief, but also just like, you know, villagers who were just presented very, uh, I don't know, without much commentary or just with, but with dignity. Right. I felt like, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I thought back to, because of the scenery as well, <laughs> we, uh, again, to bring it back to another episode, sure. we're talking about stagecoach. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how that that racism was really hard to take almost and like kind of right. like over. But I, I think this one was very, it, it just had a different like tinge to it that that stagecoach certainly did not. I was pretty <laughs> shocked. But, um, again, and I think that I agree with you, Seth. Like there's something I'm, you can kind of tell, I feel like now when when it's getting a little hairy or not in terms of the content or something like that. And I- I did not feel um, that this movie was doing that, which was was kind of refreshing. Um, yeah, I, I didn't doubt the intent, you know. Right, there you and go. It, it wasn't, um, wasn't a joke, you know, um, <laughs> yes, that was, okay. that's about it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I thought, I, I'm sorry I missed this, but this actually apparently had, a, we might have been seeing like a, a revitalized print of it, Megan, because they was re-released for a while and it was playing at the Castro Theater in San Francisco. Really? Like 10 years ago. <laughs> that would be cool to see. But yeah, it's got some more recent recognition and um, people are calling, you know, especially female filmmakers are calling yeah. it, you know, influential on their work. So it's very cool to see this very unique piece of Hollywood history. Yeah, yeah. I know for me, female voice in like film does not have to be like, it's a sentimental film. It's like, it's very right. feely. And this is, I mean, obviously this is a film noir. So like, right. it's not that. And then we have all these dark characters. So I um, really like it for that aspect as well. I like what it stands for, I guess. And it mm. is cool that it is like the first uh, of its kind, I guess. So thank you, Ida. Yes. <laughs> we appreciate that. I was gonna ask you in general, do you care for, are you a fan of true crime uh, narratives? You know, um, I think actually a little more in TV, to be mm. honest. I'm not like a, not an SVU girl or anything like that. Right. But, um, <laughs> but I don't know, they're able to spin a yarn a little bit. I think they, since the um, compression of TV makes it kind of like, it has to be pretty exciting. That's true, yeah. That's what kind of gets me, but not not much, to be honest, in film, sure. at least. Yeah, I, I I think there's there's a line that's kind of difficult of when is this disrespectful, <laughs> you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, especially if it is a live action thing. Like, um, I watched the the documentary The Staircase. Okay. And there's now there's the live action version of it, which um, everyone who's involved with the documentary is very upset about because it's oh. taken a lot of liberties. And it's like, well, this is you know the family's alive. Yeah. This is um, a fairly recent thing. This feels like a weird version to do your your own fantasy of here's what maybe happened thing but like this movie obviously does uh, the hitchhiker does take liberties yeah they had already caught him you know and mm -hmm. i think and this was also going back to the Hayes code we mentioned they had to reduce the number of actual murders down really? to, to three yeah because the billy cook killed more people than that i think <laughs> and uh so there was some of it was i think out of respect there was like we're not telling that exact story we're telling a similar story i see mm -hmm. um 
and I think like that works a little better for me or you know Psycho is not exactly Ed Gang you know but it's similar and yeah things like that well very cool I think I think we should move on to our recommendations if that's right if you make yeah sure mm-hmm. cool so I think we're gonna go with another movie by a female film director right sure yeah in the spirit of um of this new <laughs> Uh, thing that we're talking about which we're excited to talk about (laughs) (laughs) cool do you want to start us off yeah so um I the film actually brought something to mind and I was a little little side note here is that I it's actually kind of sad I was I had to look up like pretty popular movies that are uh, directed Uh, by women and it's uh, far and few and also like I knew this before but like very very few women have won best director for um the oscars which i know now oscars are like whatever but um you know it still says something it's it's only two right it it is two i believe catherine bigelow Um, and the i'm blanking her name who i know um yeah i'm I'm blanking too (laughs) and so there you go like it's just like (laughs) it's hard to pinpoint so um and they are definitely out there it's just like it's about exposure and i think that there's still like such such a problem of getting like uh women directed films exposed to be honest um so that's my little spiel but anyway absolutely <laughs> happily um places like uh the Sundance Film Festival which I was very very luckily able to attend my senior year at St. Mary's College shout out uh we were able to go and then many of their films are women directed like I think like over majority, which is really, mm, that's really cool. Obviously, I, I'm maybe just the year that I went, there were a lot and I like sought out as many as I could, obviously. But there was one kind of straggler, I think it was towards the end, and it wasn't like mind blowingly amazing, but it actually had some film noir elements, it had some just very fun filmic elements that caught my attention. And that is a movie called To the Stars. It's directed by. A woman who I, I don't know her name. Her name's Martha Stevens. I have to look her up now. And it's also available to watch on Hulu for anybody um, who can see it right now. But beautiful cinematography is set in very rural Ohio, I believe, or like, oh, sorry, Oklahoma. Kind of same era. So it's about around the 50s or so. And it has a simple plot line that becomes a little bit more nuanced as we go along. I feel like this, I, I feel like... um. Hitchhiker had a little bit of that as well. I think that mm. Seth and I were talking a little bit about it and said that there's psychological elements in it a little more right. than what may be expected. But overall, the plot line is quite similar. And it's basically just a girl who moves to Oklahoma and befriends someone, um, but ends up also having a love connection there. Mm. And there's some supernatural elements um, added to the very, very rural poor town of Oklahoma, which is really, really fun to see. So all of that really worked for me. And um, again, that that indiness came out for me a lot, but um, not in, in the best way possible. The movie looks amazing and like um, uses all of its elements so well. I was absolutely transported <laughs> to like the 50s, which was awesome to see costume wise, everything like that. So really, really fun one. Um, and like, it's more than just the plot and here you go, <laughs> wrapped up in a bow <laughs> kind of thing, that, which I think both of these movies did quite well. Fantastic pick. And I had to look it up. It's uh, Chloe Zhao, I believe is how you pronounce the name, the woman who directed No Man Land, who did The Eternals after that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, to my knowledge, it's still only two women have won an Oscar and 
and while Oscars are bullshit, that still speaks volumes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I have to check out uh, To the Stars opening. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I think you'll like it, Seth. <laughs> I, I, I bet I will. Um, yeah. uh, the one I'm going to go with is called You Were Never Really Here. This is directed by, yeah, Lynn Ramsey, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. And this this has uh, a lot of the same things of like you wouldn't expect. On, on the surface, it doesn't seem like a story a woman would want, necessarily want to tell. And this is, you know, prejudiced uh, voice saying that it doesn't seem like the uh, nurturing thing that one might associate. But it's also, it's a story that I think is told fairly often poorly because it is about a, a man who is uh, a former soldier who is getting a woman out of organized prostitution. Mm -hmm. And I think there's been a couple Rambo movies that are like that. There's there's Taken. There, there's a lot of very machismo action, I'm going <laughs> to save the world thing that always have, uh, again, a very racist spent towards whoever wow. the uh, people are. And this one doesn't have that. Like the, the this is happening in Washington, D.C. and New York, primarily. This is American okay. politicians who are the villains here who are running this uh, nice. corrupt <laughs> child <laughs> prostitution ring. And it's um a really great depiction of ptsd with um walking phoenix as well you have a really great editing technique that kind of you just get these brief flashes to maybe something that happened as a kid maybe something that happened in the war mm. you're just talking like two quick frames and he's kind of waking up again and not enough to fully get what's happening but enough to get that it's on his mind yeah. and yeah there's it is a very violent movie. There's also like the longest, most violent sequence keeps cutting away right before the action happens. Mm -hmm. Like Joaquin Phoenix will be raising a hammer that cuts away, then you see the result of this next. And this is a technique that is oddly tasteful, but still very effective and it's still mm -hmm. very gut-wrenching, <laughs> you know? So really brutal, violent movie that has a lot of similar vibes with this and it's also i think it's 80 minutes long it's crazy how tightly paced it is and a lot happens in this movie okay so highly recommended that by nice. uh, lynn ramsey oh nice oh yeah walking so <laughs> oh he's he's great <laughs> yeah I, I think you would like it megan it's it also has a thing where he was um talking to what lynn ramsey it's like this guy's often on stakeouts all right so he has a beer belly like this isn't like i'm not looking like ryan gosling for right. this movie like i am i am often like my character is wearing the same basic like all black yeah like construction pants and stuff <laughs> and is probably just like chewing on gummy bears for hours <laughs> waiting for the thing to happen so i like that attention of detail from the actor <laughs> you yeah. know but it's also like this i think walking thinks is a handsome man but this is not a uh body goals movie yeah, <laughs> this sure. isn't uh i don't think you're gonna have as many people having a poster of this as a taxi driver drive uh, <laughs> so right right um and we love that <laughs> yeah exactly mm -hmm. <laughs> but cool so this might be a little a little shorter one but you know we're talking about shorter movies so <laughs> i know we'll, we'll we'll do it again i mean we're, this is certainly not the only movie uh directed by a woman that right right i think we're planning to talk about we certainly have more to talk about i think we need to get into agnes varda and yeah. a lot of other people but um yeah quickly sure. i want to say like um greta gorg's amazing and yeah. little women and my personal favorite ladybird which i think i've talked about a little bit before yeah, uh, I, I love them it. so much and i think they they are an expression of her but i do like that we've kind of picked movies that you mentioned said that they're not 
a typical feminine i'm using air quotes move (laughs) where people think that like it has to be about a bunch of like um for sister girls (laughs) or like (laughs) or uh, again a little catholic like schoolgirl from from which everybody should be listening to these stories but that's not also what like women directed film has to look like or or is right it's just like I like that we we kind of picked that. <laughs> I, I agree. And I think like, I think especially with like Hitchhiker, you really get the sense that I Lupin is like, film noir is fun and it's fun to make. I want to make yeah. this fun movie. Like this like fun on the edge of your seat. You got it. You know, violent thing. And it's really cool to see somebody who's definitely capable of doing a lot of other things, also doing a man's world thing so well. Man's oh, world yeah. being like Hollywood at the time. Mm-hmm. And there's... Is there a female? There's just a little girl, I think, is the only female character in this movie. <laughs> That's right. right? There's yeah. really just men talking, and um, she nailed it. <laughs> exactly. um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, like you said, the Megan's this certainly won't be our last entry for female filmmakers. Right. Um, they've been doing it for since the 1860s, I think is Alice Guy Blanche. So, maybe <laughs> <That's right. laughs> 1880s, but mm-hmm. we got we got history here. So, <laughs> who's your guys' favorite? Uh, we must have. Yeah like some in the air or there's some that have gone through the woodwork so let us know below um, in the comments and or in our email filmoptimists plural at gmail.com we love to like interact with you guys there so just uh let us know yes 